Welcome everyone, I'm Dr. Justin Arner from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Drew Lansdowne, Assistant Professor in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Lansdowne was the senior author of the paper titled, Multiple Tibiofemoral Bone Shapes Predict Outcomes After Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reconstruction, a Systematic Review, which is in press in the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Dr. Lansdowne, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Justin. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here and look forward to talking about the study. Yeah, this is great. First of all, congratulations on a great study. You know, bony morphology with the ACL and other ligamentous injuries certainly, as as you know, play a huge role, and I don't think we totally understand it. So can you give us a little background to how you got interested in this topic and why you decided to delve deeper in it? Yeah, my first exposure to the role of bone shape on the knee joint, I think interestingly enough, came from uh, experience with our dog. And, you know, he had a, essentially an ACL injury. And uh, the treatment proposed was a slope leveling osteotomy, which um, I was surprised by. I think I was either just starting medical school or, or just starting residency or in medical school and um, would have anticipated just ACL reconstruction. But, you know, with the anatomy of dog, um, like the joint is so dependent on the ACL that the most predictable treatment is an osteotomy to level the slope so the knee is no longer that dependent on the ACL. And, you know, without that, some dogs can't walk, the joint breaks down and really um, impactful injury. So that was, you know, kind of on a personal side, like first exposure to even that concept. Uh, and then in a research setting, um, one of my collaborators, Dr. Valentina Padoya, who's a co-author on this paper, she was looking at statistical shape modeling um, and looking to apply that to patients with ACL injuries. And um, it's a really innovative technique that, you know, lets you analyze shape features in a, you know, without specifying ahead of time exactly what you're looking for. So it's a really interesting way to analyze these complex um, differences in shape. Um, and then, you know, that got me really interested in looking into this more and, you know, what is known on the topic and where could we go with this in the future? Yeah, I think that's uh, really insightful. One funny story for, you know, legacy of Dr. Fu. I remember when I was a young resident, um, he kind of found out the same thing and had one of the visiting medical students make this whole presentation uh, about dog ACLs and slope correcting osteotomies. And it is it is interesting, just like implants with dental implants yeah. and things which we learn from each other. So it's a great, great background. That's interesting. So you mentioned in the manuscript um, the difference in the bone morphology uh, data regarding risk factors for injury to the ACL, which obviously is different than uh, outcomes and issues after ACL reconstruction. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the risk factors for injury versus uh, issues after ACL reconstruction? Yeah. And, you know, Dr. Musall from Pittsburgh, um, he had a recent systematic review in JBJS in 2020 um, that was on the uh, risk factor specifically for an ACL injury. Um, and, you know, he's done a lot of work in this area too, and, you know, definitely a um, real leader in that role of bone shape. Uh, but it's a great review of um, a number of different factors that can contribute to uh, patients being more at risk to ACL injury. You know, the idea behind this study was really, you know, looking at our outcomes after ACL reconstruction. So, you know, we know that that larger group of patients with ACL injuries, they may have certain features in common. Uh, but then what about that subset that 
uh, they re-tear after um, ACL reconstruction or, you know, we know that a certain fraction of patients will have poor outcomes or, you know, limited ability to return to sports and then, you know, always the, the downstream effect of post-traumatic arthritis. And what are the, the data that uh, are behind, you know, our understanding of what may contribute to those negative outcomes specifically after ACL reconstruction? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, difference and certainly an important one. Can you tell us a little bit about what you found in your systematic review, a summary of it? Yeah, definitely. And I think the biggest takeaway, so, you know, the this review, we were able to include 24 studies, almost 2,000 total patients uh, between ACL reconstructed or control knees. Um, and the most consistent feature that I think we found was um, that uh, the tibial slope. And you know, the other features that were evaluated included, you know, notch morphology, femoral condylar morphology, trochlear morphology, and then a mismatch between the tibia and the femur. But really, the studies on tibial slope were more consistent in identifying with that as a potential negative risk factor for predisposing patients to failure after ACL reconstruction. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think those are good summaries. And the Tibial slope is certainly the most we talk about clinically, so that's, that's yeah. interesting and good to hear. We have some more data. You mentioned the imaging, uh, you know, in your study, and certainly you're one of the leaders in uh, high-level imaging. So I'm interested to see uh, your take and what types of imaging modalities were used to perform these measurements, and uh, what are your thoughts about the best methods to basically do that in the future, and what's kind of the most reliable method to do that. So for this study, 10 of the studies were x-ray based, and then uh, 10 were MRI, and then four used uh, CT scans. And um, I think, you know, first off, being able to use three-dimensional imaging clearly gives us better resolution and an ability to discern, especially more complex shape features. So I think our x-ray measurements can often be limited and imprecise. And then so much is dependent upon, you know, the projection. Um, if we're getting, you know, good x-rays and then, you know, there's certain errors with the measurements themselves. So, you know, the x-ray, it's cheap, easy, available. Um, so certainly like a good tool in some regard, but um, for um, a study on these more like complicated shape features, I think um, x-ray can certainly be limited. And then, you know, between CT and MRI, uh, I think, you know, historically CT has been able to give us better bony resolution. But we have been able to do a lot with um, MRI bone shape modeling. And I think, you know, especially for ACL patients where, you know, MRI is kind of our standard of care before surgery, you know, if there is something in their post-op recovery, it's an MRI, not a CT scan that we're routinely getting. But being able to use those types of scans that are already obtained and, you know, being able to process them to uh, analyze these shape features. And I think, you know, the cross-sectional imaging with an MRI is probably the most available and then gives us really the information that we need. Uh, can be a little harder to process versus a CT scan, but um, still uh, give a lot of good information about the shape. Yes, certainly uh, UCSF, you guys have done a lot of really cool MRI studies and that would be the holy grail to have some really high quality segmentation that's automatic with MRI and certainly the same stories with the shoulder, with bone loss and everything as, as you know, better than anyone. So it's, that's a, uh, Great thoughts on the horizon. You mentioned um, there was a big variation with you know a lot of studies in general, and also this topic and the terminology and methodology in the studies. So you really couldn't perform an adequate meta-analysis. Can you 
talk to us a little bit about the variations and, and everything in the different studies and what kind of clouded uh, those evaluations? Yeah. You know, I think for a good meta-analysis, you really want to have comparable patient groups, comparable outcome scores, comparable measurements. So then you're you're really pooling data and um, able to draw those broader conclusions. And um, with this, there was just so much variability in the studies. You know, some of the imaging was done before surgery. Some of it was done after. Um, you know, like we talked about the different imaging modalities, some with MRI, some CT, some X-ray, and then the different outcome measures, like failure was consistently reported, um, just as ACL graft rupture. Uh, but then some of the studies looked, too, at just uh, patient-reported outcome scores. Um, and then we also looked at, you know, markers of um, early post-traumatic arthritis. And um, being able to pool all of that, there weren't adequate numbers to really draw those broader conclusions. And you know, thought that the most meaningful way to present it would really just be as more of just that summary and that systematic review format. Yeah, totally agree. Great explanation of that. You know, some of us aren't as knowledgeable about about these different ways to do these studies. So that's great. Would you uh, mind tell us tell us about the most evidence? You kind of mentioned tibial slope. Kind of dive a little bit more into depth about that regarding bony morphology and poor outcomes. What are kind of things you think clinically we should measure? Can we measure, or what we should look at? You know, boiling this down to more clinical aspects of what you found and how you think a surgeon should look at everything. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially when evaluating a patient with a failed ACL, um, I think it really is important that we pay attention to um, tibial slope, especially uh, measuring that either on x-ray, on MRI, or, you know, CT scan if um, that's ordered as well. Um, And, you know, I think it's been borne out relatively consistently that uh, tibial slope above 12, 13 degrees, uh, we'll put that patient at risk for re-tear, ACL failure, graft tear. Um, and, you know, I think especially in the when facing that revision situation, um, it's probably worth considering um, an osteotomy even to correct that at that point. And so I would definitely routinely evaluate that. And I think that's the one that we have the best evidence for at this point. And, you know, when approaching a failed ACL, there's so many potential factors that go into, you know, what caused failure um, can be, you know, poor tunnel position, inappropriate graft selection, like using an allograft in a young patient, uh, can be non-compliance or early return to sports, you know, varus valgus malalignment in the coronal plane, uh, meniscus deficiency, uh, missed ligamentous injury. And so I think, you know, making sure, um, you know, if their slope is high, it's still going through these other uh, potential issues and really identifying all of them that, you know, could possibly contribute to their failure uh, and then, you know, correcting those that were, that were able to and um, that are, um, you know, abnormal probably will give us the best chance to have a successful um, revision reconstruction. Yeah, that's excellent. That's another question I had for you. It's really seems the best way to do systematically, you know, go through every uh, reason for failure in your mind to make sure, you know, in a busy clinic, you're not missing um, an alignment situation that you didn't look at it in the day of surgery or wishing you spent more time on this imaging or that type of imaging uh, to really make sure you're prepared. So that's a great explanation. Another question I, I wanted to ask you, you know, like you were hinting at, you know, tibial slope is really the thing we can work on and improve the most, you know, based on your exa- experience with this and all the imaging studies you do, 
do you do you think that anything you know is on the horizon regarding morphology of the femoral condyles or you know the mismatch as you mentioned between the tibia and femur and notch size do you think some of that will be catching on in you know five or ten years or things you know slowly that will come out of further research that maybe you know in a few years just like tibial slope wasn't really a big consideration uh, ten years ago that we're, we'll be thinking about in the upcoming yeah, years. I do, and um, you know I think a kind of a long-term vision for work like this would really be in either the revision or even the primary setting, being able to say, you know, these are the factors that are going to put this knee more at risk for re-injury, and then what are the things that we can do to mitigate that? And I think, you know, some thoughts in that area, so um, certainly not proven out yet, but um, I think worth investigating is, you know, in general, we know, like, we don't want to use a graft like less than eight millimeters for um, a hamstring or, you know, quad patellar tendon. Um, it would try to stay away from anything smaller. But, um, you know, are there some patients where, you know, even that's going to be insufficient and we need a larger graft? Uh, or somewhere there's going to be too much impingement and we actually need to, uh, you know, going a bit bigger is going to be worse for them. And, you know, really finding that, like, patient-specific graft size and then also, I think, graft type you know, potentially we could clarify if, you know, with this group of features, you know, your knee will perform best with quad autograft, for instance, or something else. Um, and then I think also there's, you know, been so much interest with uh, like the lateral extraarticular articular tinnitus or these extracapsular reconstruction procedures and really defining um, the appropriate role for them or, you know, who will benefit the most. And, you know, it may be that, you know, if you have this, um, like, specific condylar morphology, like, sure, we can't change that, but by adding the LET, maybe we, you know, protect the graft, add some extra stability, and now we, like, that's the group of patients where, um, you know, we can identify them ahead of time and then, you know, do a little something extra to um, limit their failure rate. And, uh, or, you know, it could even be on the, the rehabilitation side that, you know, this group, we need to slow them down a bit more to let the graft mature, or maybe we can be more comfortable with an accelerated rehab because, you know, this patient has these set of features that, you know, we can be confident that the graft isn't going to be overstressed in that regard and can move a little faster. Uh, so I think there's, um, I think it's a really interesting area with um, a lot of different directions that are certainly unexplored, but um, I could see getting to the point where you know, a lot of these are identified automatically and we say, you know, you have this profile, um, like this is kind of that risk assessment and then this is, you know, ideal graft size. Should we use an extra articular procedure? What's your rehab time course? All of those other things we can kind of, you know, define going forward. Certainly, yeah, that would be ideal. That's a great uh, vision and, and certainly it's exciting. You know, think of how many ACL studies have been done, but still we have more work to do. And probably as you know, Dr. Fu, you know, it would give, give a lot of lectures about individualized ACLs, just like, like uh, yeah. you were talking about measuring, you know, the hamstring size, quad size, the thickness of this graft, that graft. And he would measure the notch and adjust the graft accordingly. And, you know, you mentioned in your paper, larger notch width was associated with some poor outcomes. So, you know, distilling this down is certainly not easy, but exciting with all the different, you know, machine learning and technologies that are coming about. And yeah, that's a certainly a great explanation. So 
I think you really covered a lot of the questions I had had for you today. I was curious if you had any other closing thoughts and and um, ideas about bony morphology and you know ACL surgery in general, or thoughts in your practice about CTs to evaluate uh, tunnel position and width and, and all that when you're doing, uh, especially revisions. Any any thoughts and words of wisdom would be appreciated. Yeah, and um, you know, for tunnel widening, I will always measure it on X-ray, and I feel like you know, combining the an AP and a lateral, you can usually get a pretty good sense of um, what those um, tunnel diameters will be. Um, and then also looking at it on MRI, if, you know, if there's something that just doesn't look right, then, I, you know, always have a lower threshold to get a CT scan. But for most, um, I feel like I'm not, and then just even assessing it intraoperatively, like um, making sure that I have good bone to work with and bone grafting if needed, and, you know, hopefully just revising in a single stage if that's appropriate. But I always think like more information going into it can only, you know, let you make better decisions. So um, if there's anything that can be obtained on the imaging, it's probably worth doing. Like other thoughts in this direction, I, I think one of the I think really interesting directions too is um, that area of statistical shape modeling. So a lot of the features in um, this paper, it's somebody saying, you know, I think that the notch width is important or the height or the tibial slope. Like it's us as researchers or as surgeons saying, these are the factors I want to measure. And then the statistical shape modeling, that approach is saying, you know, these are the common features in this data set and what's different between these groups. And so you're kind of removing that potential bias. And then really, you know, it may be something that's more complex than like we can just easily measure, but it may be the the factor that really is separating patients into those who fail and who do well. So I think there's a lot of potential in that direction too, to um, kind of eliminate some of our preconceived notions and um, kind of hopefully get to the real underlying, you know, pathologic condition that may be putting patients more at risk for failure. Yeah, that's super insightful and appreciate your uh, expertise and knowledge. And we look forward to you know, all the exciting things coming out of UCSF and imaging. And you guys are very progressive with your, your studies. So appreciate your time today. And thanks uh, for sharing all your information with us. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me and um, great talking about it. And uh, it's been fun. Dr. Lansdowne's article entitled Multiple Tibiofemoral Bone Shapes Predict Outcomes After Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reconstruction, a systematic review is in press in the Arthroscopy Journal and is available online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thanks so much for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. 